This is the Drunken UX Podcast. You are listening to episode number 65, assuming I haven't rolled the dice and moved this to episode 64, which is what my show notes said, but maybe it'll be 66. When you're, you know, the problem I'm having right now is that as I'm trying to get ahead of the game a little bit and and be really prepared and do these shows in advance, I start to realize sometimes things move around. So anyway... Episode 65, we are going to be talking about static site generators and looking at a specific platform called Bridgetown this evening. Uh, We've got Jared White joining us here in just a few moments. Folks, I am your host, Michael Feenan. I'm your other, other host, Aaron Hill. Hi, Aaron. Um, Wet. Very wet and very allergic to apparently everything outside right now. (laughs) We finally got rain here after, like... Three days of roughly 90 degree Fahrenheit weather, which I mean, the last time it snowed was only two, maybe three weeks ago. Like it was after May 1st, we had snow. So like all over the place. And on that note, if you enjoy the Drunken UX podcast, then you should go check out our sponsors over at New Cloud. You can visit them at newcloud.com slash drunken UX. It's in ucloud.com slash UX. I'm, I'm losing my, my words already, though, with the scotch. Um, they do interactive maps. Go <laughs> say hello to them and, and see what they've got if you need an interactive map or an illustration or anything like that. Aaron, you, man, you yeah. look like you just got back from the gym. What are you drinking? <laughs> I, I did not get back from the gym. Uh, it is just very warm here. Hot. Yeah, uh, up there, I suppose, uh, air conditioners are not necessarily as much a priority as they are here. They are, but I don't have one in this house, and I'm still kind of sussing out, like, airflow solutions. So mojito season? Uh, is that the got, one I'm hearing? Uh, <laughs> I've got, well, I've got fans on the order, but they just haven't gotten here yet. Um, I've been, downstairs, it is, like, a nice temperate, like, 72 degrees. Upstairs, I think it's around 80. Jesus. Um, and that And that's cool for, like, for this week. I've got, uh, I don't know what to call this, but I, I made it by accident this morning. It's got a little bit of uh, amaretto, a little bit of this rum. This morning, good lord, son. <laughs> we started early. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. It was like 11, I think, but it's still technically morning. Uh, it has amaretto and rum and triple sec and then iced tea. So I made uh, some solar tea on the porch, and it's just pretty tasty. Um, I'm, uh, I'm a scotchy boy tonight, uh, not drinking from my cask. I did though. The cask is now has actual scotch in it that is actually aging <laughs> here in another episode or two. I'll break that out and, and see what that tastes like. But Balvenie 12, plain old double wood. Ooh. I'm, Ooh, I'm, I'm in, I'm in the sweet lands one. tonight. I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do enjoy the. The sort of rosy nature. I believe it's sherry casks that they finish this in. Um, mm-hmm. And it is always nice. This is like the perfect. In fact, I, I like this so much I have a, a second bottle up in, in my cupboard yeah. to replace this one when it's empty. So That's my favorite one so far, too. Yeah, yeah sherry cask. Yeah, second cask is sherry cask, yes. I had to double check. Um, so, yeah. So, that's what I'm having tonight. 
And so this week we have a very special guest with us, Jared White. Jared, I think you've got a, maybe, is it a can? Is it a bottle? You've got something with you on your plate. Don't, wait, don't drink from a plate. Drink from a glass or <laughs> some, something that's got like a, a a very tall, I don't know, save me. <laughs> <laughs> Not drinking from a plate, that would be a mean feat here. But uh, no, I got a can. Uh, actually, I, I almost never drink canned beer, but uh, I saw this at a store. It was... Uh, from Astoria, Oregon, called Bowie Beer. Uh, it's an IPA, and it's it's actually one of my favorite IPAs. It's it's really good. So, so I'm enjoying that today. Everybody's got a little bit of something nice. for the show. That's what I like to see. That's team spirit. <laughs> team, hey, team spirit. Point <laughs> the double intended. joke. It's a <laughs> yeah. double entendre on on me. Um, okay, so let's let's <laughs> talk about this though real fast because obviously you heard a third voice. That was the voice of the illustrious Jared White. Jared comes to us from the web consulting firm White Fusion. They focus on small businesses up in the Portland, Oregon area. Um, he is also a very proud Rubyist, which I know is a somewhat under underserved uh, part of our web development community. Sorry, Aaron, but you don't count. Ha. <laughs> Uh, but Jared is also, uh, is it fair for me to call you sort of the, the mastermind behind Bridgetown? Is that a fair assessment? I'll take it. Sure. You could even call me the evil mastermind. Uh, <laughs> I like where your no, brain no, is it's, at. Uh, not too evil. Only, only slightly. <laughs> so this is something that came out of a, a discussion we had a few episodes back. So in episode 61, we talked about emergency websites and, while we were doing that, um, the the idea came up that we, we mentioned, you know, if you needed a site to be really well supported, that you needed it to be really resilient to a lot of heavy traffic, using a static site generator and pushing to a system like Netlify would help you do that because it's much easier to serve static pages than dynamic ones. Mm -hmm. And so we're using this episode to actually talk about what that means. We've, of, we, of course, mm -hmm. had... Dustin Shao, uh, who is a one of the dudes behind Gatsby, works with Gatsby.js. Gatsby.js is a static site generator. And with uh, Jared on with us to talk about Bridgetown, we'll get kind of a, a good sort of deep understanding of some of this stuff. Maybe not super deep, but as much as we can do in an hour anyway. So first and foremost, uh, and to throw back to another guest, uh, when Tatiana Mack was on with us, when, when was that, Aaron? That was... That was episode 18. 18. That was season one. Oh, God, was it? Uh, she was, I don't know if she was our first guest, but she was one of the very first guests we had on the show. We had her on to talk about uh, universal design and accessibility. Yeah. And, and that's when I, changed, when I changed my font size on my yeah, blog to yeah. 16 pixels. I still remember doing that during the show. <laughs> She's also a big voice in the community for a, a tool called Eleventy. Huh. And we'll have a link to an article that she wrote uh, as well for that. But 11T is another static site generator. If you have any questions after this episode, which you probably will, that article will answer all of them. It is like like soup to nuts, full full explanation about static site generators and what they are, et cetera. Really all we're doing is setting really up uh, what is going to end up being like an epic showdown between all of the devs for different static site generators. <laughs> and we're going to make them all argue about which one is the best one. It, 90 come in, one goes out. You know, it, it, the, the celebrity death match model, I think, is how we should really decide all of our technology needs, quite frankly. 
it that reminds me of that XKCD where it was like, you know, there's there's uh, there's ten standards. I know. I'll make a standard that unifies all of them. Now there's 11 now there's standards. eleven standards. <laughs> <laughs> and and we joke about it, but it is very much like a you know when you think about content management systems, right? And you're thinking about what to run your site on. You realize, wow, there aren't just a few CMSs or dozens of CMSs. There are literally hundreds. Why do we have all of these systems trying to do the same job, but in different ways. And it's always because people have different needs and different requirements and different tools are better at certain things. And so static site generators are kind of evolving very similarly. And there are a ton of names that you may have heard thrown around, or maybe you've used some of them, whether that's Jekyll, Gatsby, Eleventy, Hugo, Next, Gridsum, and those are just a few. I, I forgot one. Oh, Bridgetown. <laughs> Okay. It's another one. <laughs> yeah. The, those, those are some of the ones that I've heard of. And then I looked at staticgen.com and I saw the list that I guess isn't even exhaustive at this point. It, holy yeah. crap, man. Like, it, there has to be at least 100 on there, maybe more. Static Gen is, it is a good site if you need to go and you want to do some comparisons of stuff. They also have a lot of information. Like, they, you know, everybody rates this the systems there. Take that with a grain of salt, obviously. Older systems that have been around longer are clearly going to have more ratings. Doesn't mean they're a better system, though you can uh, break down the sorting based on time spans as well, which is nice. the The homepage, my God, there are so many dimples. Have you heard of dimples? Yeah, dimples is a thing. Um, Elsa, there's one. Let's let's find another one. I want to find it. Oh, here's my favorite. Found it. Has clunk. <laughs> has what? clunk like like your engine right you know when your engine has a knock well instead this has clunk yeah. <laughs> all right i we need one of those things like is it a static site generator or is it like a poorly named variable that, that like, which that's is a, a good round for uh, this or that on uh, <laughs> uh you don't know jack yeah. Right. It's in a quantum state. It's both at the same time. Both, yeah. <laughs> hey, right. And also, shirt idea. Um, so, yeah. but a few of these, so like Gatsby, for instance. Gatsby is one you hear, maybe if you're more in the WordPress community, because there is sort of a lean towards this idea of, yes, WordPress is designed to run your site, but you can use it as what we, the, this phrase we use called a headless CMS. Mm-hmm. All a headless CMS is, is a content management system that isn't generating your pages. It's a content management system that's only doing content management. So it's it's a database mm-hmm. front end, basically, at that point. Jekyll, Jekyll's a big one because Jekyll is tied very heavily to GitHub. So if you're using GitHub pages, maybe? Right. That's where you saw that before. Those two are linked very heavily, and... As a result, people are discovering, hey, and we'll talk about this a little bit more later, but you know, you could theoretically run a whole website right through GitHub using their own baked-in mm-hmm. build process that uses Jekyll. It's an option. Um, it's also one reason why it's one of the biggest uh, site generators out there right now because, of course, it's got that, that sort of power behind it. I, I think we used that for a project when I was at Cornell. Uh, I forget what the site was, but... We did a, um, it was like a really simple, small one, and we used Jekyll to generate the content for yeah. it. Yeah. 
I think that was the first time I heard of it. But regardless of what system you decide to go with or use, these things all start to fall into what this word is. And there's a conference named after it as well that you've maybe heard thrown around called Jamstack. Hmm. I know I have heard of that. What is uh, like, I'm assuming this is like comparable to like a lamp or lamp or mamp. Yeah. So lamp, let's, let's go back first. Right. So a lamp stack. Lamp is Linux, Apache, MySQL, slash MariaDB, right. and PHP. It's like what you might run WordPress on. And the variations thereof are, you know, MAMP, Mac, WAMP, Windows, but right. the, the rest of it's the same. So right. you tell me, what do you, what does Jam sound like? I'm guessing, I'm going to guess J is probably JavaScript. Yes. The A, I mean, I. it's probably not Apache. It's probably something else. And then the M... No idea. It's probably not MySQL MariaDB. It's probably something else. But the J, I'm pretty confident, is JavaScript. So, yeah. J is absolutely JavaScript. A is APIs. Okay. And they produce M markup. Oh, so okay. It's, it's literally okay, okay. outputting HTML in the most literal sense. I think I've done Rails apps that were along these lines, although we didn't generate static we didn't generate static HTML for them, but we did do like JavaScript front end, API yeah. back end. So similar. There's a, a site if you want to learn like a lot about what Jamstacks are and, and how they function and all of this. Um, there's a site that's just called jamstack.wtf, which a great, <laughs> great TLD. <laughs> is awesome. It is. It is a, a good way just to kind of get some real surface level type information about that system. <laughs> now, Jared, for the purposes of like, and maybe not, well, maybe British talents. Let's let's go ahead and, and pull this up into the conversation real fast. Is because Bridgetown is for Ruby based sites, right? Yeah, well, it's it's for people who have familiarity or even just passing interest in Ruby as a language and are interested in using a static site generator that starts from the place of you know you you run it as a Ruby program, right? Um, but uh, you know all of, all of the stuff it generates is you know all of the same stuff anything else generates HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Is it fair for me though? It, like in this. Okay, so we said like there's a lamp, a lamp, and a map. Does this differentiate between a jam stack and a ram stack? Is that, a, that... Uh, you know, th- this is such a good question, and it's actually like the most by far ram, ram the most confusing thing that I think comes up time and time again. Um, I think how I see it is is that acronym jam. Uh, I mm-hmm. I have always seen it as essentially being backwards from the actual development process. So what I mean by that is hmm. starting with markup. So you start with content that's in either HTML format or markdown format. And right. markdown has become really popular uh, with a lot of people, you know, starting with programmers, of course, but even folks that are really not, uh, not very technical at all. Uh, so starting with the M of jam and then going to the A of jam, and that's where you, you you kind of go to the next step of like, okay, I have a bunch of content, but but you know, what do I do with that content, and how do I do something dynamic with that content? So if somebody goes to to a page, you know, maybe they get 
you know, the, the initial state of that content. That's the static part of static site generator. They get like a static page, but then something on that page needs to update. So, you know, think of e-commerce, for example, like a product, most of the things of the product won't change on a very regular basis. Like the name of the product will stay the same, you know, at least for a while, you know, some of the descriptive text will stay the same, but something like a price or something like a discount, you know, there's these other bits where you want like literally up to the second accuracy. You don't want a price that was like, well, this was the price when we built the site five hours ago and we have a new price, but <laughs> you know, we, we don't know how to update the price, you know, at the moment. And so it's like the five hours old price, you know, you, you don't want like stale data. Right. So that's where the API bit comes in. You have some kind of way of, of, you know, once the page loads in the browser, you know, it will connect to an API and say, hey, get me the most up-to-date price. And so it will take the static markup that came from the web server uh, and it will update that in real time. And then that's, that's sort of the final piece, the J, the JavaScript. The JavaScript is how you write that, that logic. So you have some kind of JavaScript framework. You know, it can be something very simple. Like it can, you can literally just write a little bit of vanilla JS, as it's called. Hmm. framework frameworkless javascript you could say uh you know to just you know make a request to an api and say you know get me the latest data um but it, it really starts with you know some kind of markup some kind of static site uh repository that that's where you begin and, and that's that's what's so great now about tools like github and and these uh you know and git of course and these ways that we have of you know where you where you start with with you know a code base of some kind, a repository that's like you know okay here's here's some basic content, here's templates, here's uh, you know JavaScript files, CSS files, you know maybe they're in you know sort of smarter formats like instead of CSS maybe it's SCSS or SAS as it's called, and then the build process turns that into regular CSS for the browser. There's this idea now that you know when when you're building a website project, you're probably starting with a lot of source files in, in some different formats. And then you have some kind of build process that, you know, every time that process runs, it transforms the, the source files into the destination files. And then those destination files, that's the static site part of it. That can get deployed anywhere. It could get deployed just to a regular web server like Apache or N Nginx. Or it could get deployed to uh, a CDN, a content delivery network. And that's uh, what's, um, you know, really heavily promoted by services like Netlify or Versal. You never have to worry about getting, uh, so this is going to date me, but <laughs> back in the day there was a term <laughs> getting slash dotted. Uh, Don't worry, we now, beat you to that one a long time ago. We're yeah, we're already uh, hurt may, by maybe that now. One. Maybe Wait. now it's like getting uh, I don't know hacker newsed or something. But you know this idea like oh you have like this little blog, but all of a sudden like you know Oprah mentions something or whatever, some crazy thing happens. You get like a million visitors in a day. Like you know in the in the past everything would completely crap out because you just have a WordPress blog on a little server, like a little shared hosting thing somewhere, and it just it couldn't handle it. Um, but with a static site that's on a CDN, you know, maybe not like the greatest experience in the world if there's some issue with the, you know, the API connections or whatever, but at least that initial static site, that initial content, the article, the product, the marketing page, whatever it might be, at least that initial static site is always going to get to the person, you know, anywhere in the world. It's going to be super fast, like, like an order of magnitude faster in many cases 
than uh, if you have you know a dynamic app server somewhere you know struggling to yeah. handle this influx of of uh, customers all of a sudden. The funny thing about it, we were talking a little bit before the show started about this, and I was sitting here thinking about this. And Aaron, remember when we talked about our first websites and yeah. how we built those and how we went about them? And I was thinking about the tool I used to build my first like non hand coded sites was a CMS called Coronto. Um, Coronto still exists. You can still go use it. It's a Perl-based system huh. uh, that you would drop into oh, the CGI cool. bin, and it would run from there. But I got to thinking about it, and I'm like, man, we've, we're coming full circle on this because that tool in 1999, 2000, that was a static site generator. It was a headless huh. CMS that you could put in a little template information into, and it managed whatever structured content you wanted to add to it. And its job was to sit there and then publish out HTML files as a consequence. And so if you changed something in your header or footer or something and, and saved it, it would then trickle out and regenerate every one of your HTML pages just like a normal static site generator would. And the end result is okay. your, you have a website that has physical, normal HTML pages there to serve up instead of serving it from a CMS like WordPress. So every visit to your website is generating CPU load. It's generating memory usage. H serving HTML pages, I mean, yes, it requires resources, but um, Jared, like you were saying, we're talking orders of magnitude difference in terms of what you can do when a database isn't involved and when all of this other overhead is not tied into it. And I, I just thought that was kind of funny that we're coming back to that. People are looking at this idea and thinking, you know, if I want to build a fast, efficient site, maybe this is the way I should go about it. But hmm. I don't think we can do that without talking about what it works well for, because I do think this is one of those things that it works. It's cool and it will do a lot of things, but I don't necessarily think it's right for everything. Yeah, there's there's sort of the funny... Um... I don't know what the term for this would be, but if, if you could envision a, a, the opposite of a of a uh, power curve, you know, instead of it like starting low, going high in the middle, and coming down, it's like the opposite. So, like in terms of Jamstack stuff being cool, it's like it's incredibly cool for like you just want to get a site up quick. You want to use some developer tools that you're familiar with, and it's really easy to do. You can just, you know, like literally in a day, you could like spin up a new repository, you know, stick some markdown files in there, you know, type yarn add Tailwind or Bulma or some cool CSS framework, get a design in there. <laughs> Usually in a matter of minutes or maybe a half an hour, you can just, you know, type a few commands in a terminal and get an entire site spun up. Uh, and then, you know, with something like Netlify, it's literally just a matter of, you know, uh, you know, up, upload the site to GitHub, connect GitHub to Netlify. Again, these are steps that take mere minutes. Um, and then, you know, Netlify will just automatically know anytime there's a, a commit, an update on GitHub. And whenever that happens, it automatically rebuilds the site. So it does the automatic uh, static site generation build process every time. And so, like, boom, you, you can just go from, you know, I have an idea, I'll, I'll create a new repository, I'll use my static site generator of choice, you know, add a few bits, stick in some content, put it up on GitHub, use Netlify, and boom, you're on the web with a site, and you don't have to worry about databases and how to deploy this to that and how to, you know, 
uh, configure a bunch of things. It's all sort of this this really easy automatic thing. So that that's kind of like the the first part of the curve here, where it's like you can get stuff up really fast and and in a really kind of fun way. It's a great uh, uh, DX developer experience. So that's like hmm. it's like UX for the developers among us. <laughs> uh, great DX. Cool. It works well, I think, in cases where you know you're putting information out there, and then it doesn't have to do anything else. You know, it doesn't have to live a life, so to speak. So blogs, I think, are obvious candidates for that. You know, informational sites or like event sites or things that just are, you know, out there to to share something for a while. Even to a, an extent, like if you wanted to think about a big site, like let's say NBC News, I think even a site like that could get away with using a static site generator because when you really think about it, what's dynamic on those sites a lot of the times it's stuff like weather, which can be brought in over JavaScript and APIs. Advertising, which is all JavaScript, and hopefully you're blocking it uh, in in your pie hole or using adblock <laughs> or whatever. Sorry, NBC. <laughs> uh, but like a, even a big site like that actually could run very statically when you strip away those little elements of what really are dynamic. Yeah, so that's the other that's like the other side of the curve here where you you have, you know, these sites that, you know, certainly get updated pretty regularly but maybe only, you know, once an hour or, you know, even once every 15 minutes. Uh but it's largely like, you know, hey, here's a bunch of information and that information is just, you know, it's what it is when you go look at it. And so, you know, you, with these mm. huge sites that are getting just, you know, massive traffic perhaps, you know, distributed across, you know, a large territory or even the whole world. But there's this kind of middle area where it's more like, you know, I I have this like kind of small business thing that's like local and people need to be able to log in to do some stuff. And there's like a database and there's a custom backend to manage, you know, a bunch of folks logging in to update something. And like there's this whole sort of like very dynamic kind of business software like all these other use cases, right, where, you know, trying to fit that whole side of, of you know, web web app and website usage into the Jamstack, uh, it's, it's just not a good fit, at least, you know, not with the current state of things. Well, uh, just to throw out like hmm. a good example of what just won't work as a static site, Facebook. Facebook would just not function Properly, oh, right. <laughs> because everything about it is meant to be dynamic and changing and adapting to what you're doing, and so for them, they have everything has to be done on the fly in real time to show you what you're searching for. And the other thing is, um, most static site generators work in, on the assumption of sort of brute forcing their way through like iterations of things. So let's say you have a blog with a hundred posts, and in that site are archive pages. As a result, when you publish one post, it builds that page out, but it will also regenerate your archive pages because all of the order has to shift down by one. Imagine somebody yeah. like Facebook trying to generate timelines for everybody that way. It it just doesn't work. It doesn't scale that way. You know, you could have a fully static front end, but your shopping cart is going to be an app. It's going to be a web app. It's not going to be a static generator with just JavaScript and APIs. It just it needs yeah exactly yeah it needs to do too much it needs to be smart uh, in ways that you know again right tool right job sort of thinking if your site is a blog mm. and you, all you need is search 
Well, you can add search. There are plenty of tools, you know, whether you're using Google Custom Search or something like that, or a tool like Amazon, you can do it all over API with Amazon Cloud Search or something like that. So it's all tied back to JavaScript and APIs to generate markup. So you can have a search page that's like a wrapper, but it's a container for that JavaScript and API interaction. And that lets you still have a static page as a consequence of what you're doing. Advertising, advertising is one. You know, advertisers are always loaded over JavaScript. So even though your ads may change on your site, your code doesn't have to because the JavaScript determines what app or, or, or what ad should show up in your sidebar, in your footer, you know, whatever, whatever you're looking at there. For search too, and I forgot to mention them, um, Lunar.js is one that um, is an alternative to Lunar as opposed to like Solar. Are you familiar with Solar, Aaron or Jared? Uh, solar, like the, the search. Yeah. Solar search engine, not engine, but like backend tool. Apache. Yeah. Apache solar. Yeah. So lunar is yeah. like sort of an inverse of that kind of inverse. I don't, that's a bad choice of words, but yeah, I've, I've worked with it a few times and it's pretty cool. Cause, um, cause your static site could actually generate like basically a separate file that's in JSON format that just has like, Hey, here's a bunch of structured data, you know, for everything in my site. So it's just this big wad of data. Uh, and so under the hood, like when your uh, user goes to your site, uh, it can just, you know, behind the scenes say, hey, get me this big wad of JSON. Right. And then, it, and then Lunar will, will go through that and generate the search index in the browser. So when, by the time you get to the search field and start typing in stuff, it can just instantly start, you know, offering hmm. suggestions and, you know, links to things. That's cool. Because there are too many combinations of all the words in the English language. Like it's, you're talking about, you know, quintillions of pages to make combinations yeah. for each one of those outcomes. I think in that, in those sorts, in those sorts of cases, um, you know, and especially with really large data sets, uh, you know, the, the pure Jamstack sort of approach usually doesn't work. But there are ways of um, where an external search engine will, you know, basically do the same thing that Google does, and it, it will it will just crawl your static site index everything and you know do that on a somewhat regular basis so when you do go to search mm-hmm. um you know you're talking to this external service which is dynamic but that service has has indexed all of the you know static content within the you know whatever the last you know few hours yeah. or something it, it has indexed things uh, and that can that can work pretty well sometimes yeah if, if the if the search if the targets are finite and you know what the targets are and you know what the basic metadata would be of how people would get there, you, you should be able to pre-calculate that. And this is why I think when you've got a static site, you'll see this in places where, so for instance, let's go back to the, the shopping cart idea. Jared, you had mentioned, you know, a product itself doesn't necessarily change very much. A product, it can be a static thing, but the cart is where you actually enter the app. And so when you click that add to cart button, you get sent to cart.yoursite.com and it looks the same. It's got the same markup, but suddenly you're at a different domain. The same can be true for things like search, where when you go to hit that search box, you may actually end up at search.yoursite.com and they've got their header and footer wrapped around whatever tool they're using, but they're using a tool specific to that job to take on the highly dynamic portion so that they can let the rest of their site be really lightweight. I think when, when you think, start thinking about static site generation in that way, 
you'll start to notice like all of these times when people ship you off to other domains for those certain, mm. you know, and we do that even when we aren't doing static site generation. We do that all the time when we're using other tools. So, right. Yeah. And these, and these sort of places like these, these different areas where things get plugged in from other services, you know, in the past that often would be really janky where it'd be like, Oh, there's this weird iframe in the middle of the page right. or, you know, somewhere, <laughs> somehow I'm on some other thing. It looks completely different, but you know, there's so many techniques now to, to create pretty seamless blends from the user perspective. So they don't really feel like they're kind of going from service to service and, one other thing I'd like to point out, too, real quick, just as something that I think deserves mention, uh, talking about the Jamstack, is um, you know it's not just interesting from a performance standpoint, but it's also really interesting from a security standpoint. And that's actually one of the main reasons I got into it a few years ago. Yes, static, static HTML is incredibly secure. It's, it's as secure as your server is, basically. Yeah. Uh, originally, when I got into to Jekyll, I, I took a look at it, and, and it kind of dawned on me, like, wait a minute, if I if I build a site and, and you know use something like Jekyll, the static site generator, you know, once once I hand that 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 repository and that published site to the client, like you know, if, if they don't change anything, and if I don't change anything, it will stay the same pretty much forever. Like that's a snapshot in time, and it won't change. It can't be hacked. It can't break. There's nothing to update. It's just it's just that snapshot in time. So you know, it's there's really no maintenance to have to worry about there, which is super awesome. So you are the the guy behind Bridgetown, and Bridgetown is a static site generator, but it is a static site generator that works in Ruby as opposed to a more let's say you know traditional Jamstack. Like it's not. React. It's not Vue. Um, now, I'm not a Ruby guy, so I'm going to lean on Aaron <laughs> in my other window here to help me through this part of the conversation. But, but is that like is that is it a gem? Is it like how does it fit into the Ruby architecture? I'll try to break this down as, as quickly as I can because you know we could get into the weeds really quickly. Um, but you know, as you mentioned earlier, there, there's a bunch of static site generators, but a few kind of stand out in broader awareness these days. You know, something like Gatsby, uh, it's it's written in JavaScript, right. so the, the 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 language you need to have installed on your computer in order to to run a Gatsby site on your computer is is essentially Node. You need to have Node in order to run that JavaScript application. Okay. Um, in that sense, it's it's just the same as something like Jekyll or Bridgetown, which are Ruby. Uh, you know, all you need is is in this case the Ruby language. So you know, you have Ruby installed okay. uh, and 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 run it that way. Uh, uh, there's another stack site generator, Hugo, which is written in the the, the Go language, uh, and Hugo got popular. <laughs> Hugo, yeah. I, there's there's a joke in there somewhere, I'm sure. Um, right. <laughs> but Hugo got popular a while back because uh, Go is an extremely fast language. So, you know, if you have a mm -hmm. site with, like, if your blog is, you know, for whatever reason has, like, you know, 100,000 posts and, you know, you're using something like Jekyll and it's taking, you know, a minute or two every time you make a little change uh, and you switch to Hugo mm -hmm. and it happens, you know, maybe in just a few seconds, um, you know, that's kind of a cool thing. Point being, you know, there's a bunch of different programming languages and there's a bunch of different generators that all use those languages. Where it gets a little confusing is some, not all, but some of the JavaScript uh, 
static site generators uh, do this kind of interesting thing where the, the tool that you use to, um, you know, to actually generate the site, you know, the, the way you write your templates and the way that you kind of define the relationships between the data and, and the templates, uh, you're actually using uh, a front-end framework like React or Vue on the back end. Mm-hmm. And it's, <laughs> I know, it's, it, if you're not used to this, it, it's kind of like, what? But for the folks who are doing that, you know, it seems kind of second nature to them now. But you're, you're essentially using, you know, client-side, browser-side technology uh, on the back end to, to actually generate the static site. Uh, and in, in some of these cases, you know, if you have, you know, say a JavaScript component, like a React component, the, the React component could generate the static version of it as part of the static build process. But then the, on the client side, when you load the site, it goes through what's called a hydration step. So the component will hydrate right. uh, the, the static markup and convert it to something more dynamic you know, as part of how you write things in React. I have a huge, you know, if you could see me now, I'm like, you know, making like blinking banner motions with my hand, like <laughs> danger, danger, <laughs> alert, alert. Because <laughs> what what happens often with, with these things is, you know, first of all, it can get really complicated really fast because you're, 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 you're trying to use technology that's running in two different places uh, at the you know you're using the same technology for two completely different things you're using the same technology to generate html through a build process and to do dynamic things in a browser and and the the you know the where the lines blur and how those things interact uh, i i'm finding you know, at least with you know say more junior developers that i talk to nobody understands how it works. Like they just flat out don't understand how it's working. <laughs> uh, for example, I got a question about Bridgetown, like somebody saying like, well, I'm already using stuff like Gatsby and I'm writing React components. So why, why would I want to generate stuff on the server with Bridgetown? And I was just kind of like, oh no. Because <laughs> the thing is like by default with Gatsby, like the point is that it is generating HTML on the back end and you're getting a static site. But because it's using this client-side technology, everyone's getting super confused. So, you know, it, it, it's one of these situations where, um, you know, there's a lot of cool tools out there now, but uh, some of them are like very, very sharp knives and everyone's kind of cutting themselves <laughs> and, and then realizing like, uh-oh, I, I've done something really weird here and I don't understand what's happening. Um, so... Since using client-side stuff, I know that in the Rails community, they recently moved over to kind of embracing Webpacker for asset building. Like, are, are you doing something like that? Or maybe, um, oh, what's the other one? Roll up. No, no. There was, uh, there was uh, it was Webpacker and then a different one. But, like, it a seems like everyone's five. converging on Webpacker now. Like so many of these things, there's a bunch <laughs> of options. But, yeah. So, Webpack. Yeah, yeah. So, Webpack was the primary mm-hmm. reason I got frustrated with Jekyll because, you know, I'd been using Jekyll for a few years. Uh, I love Ruby. I'm a proud Rubyist. But the thing that was frustrating was, you know, Jek- Jekyll was only concerned with just the HTML, you know, maybe a little bit of the CSS side of things. And that was it. So if you wanted to add you know, more smarts on the JavaScript side, if you want to add a client side framework, you know, if you want to do fancier things with your CSS as part of the build process, uh, Jekyll just really didn't do anything for you. So you'd have to go find something like Webpack 
and, and just figure it out. You'd have to come up with your own Webpack configuration. You'd have to you know, get everything set up there. Jekyll wouldn't know anything about it. And then you'd have to figure out how to tell Jekyll, like, okay, here's my JavaScript bundle. Here's my CSS bundle. You know, here's how you link to it. And you have to kind of wire it all up together. Um, and that was mm. one of the reasons why some people, you know, would go off to something like Next.js or Gatsby or whatever, because they, you know, they want something to just kind of come with a front-end configuration out of the box. Um, but what I ended up doing with Bridgetown, which um, ended up being a fork of Jekyll, so so it, it kind of took took Jekyll. Oh, nice. Yeah. So uh, very cool. It, it, yeah, it's it started with the base of Jekyll because. Mad props to Jekyll. It's it's a great product, but you know <laughs> I loved it so much I wanted to make it better. Um, so, so with Bridgetown, the, you know the first thing I did uh, was uh, basically set up a default out of the box Webpack configuration, and you know just do a little bit of tooling uh, on the Ruby side so it knows you know every time the site build it knows like okay here's here's the JavaScript bundle here's the CSS bundle we're going to include this in the site. And away you go. So, you know, so right now, like you can go to bridgetownrb.com and, you know, read the, the getting started thing there. And, you know, just following some simple instructions there, you know, if you create your first Bridgetown site, it already has Webpack ready to go. You can add a CSS <laughs> framework. You can start to add something like React if you need to. You might not even need to, but you can if you want to. You know, in theory, in the not so distant future, you could have a, a pretty simple Bridgetown site where, you know, Ruby generates the static site. There's also some Ruby functions that you can call as an API dynamically, and it has the JavaScript front end to add, you know, more interactive things like charts and maps, and when you click buttons, something happens, and all that kind of stuff. So uh, it's kind of this really interesting hybrid approach. There was a discussion I had on Twitter recently with some people about how someone was browsing the web with, uh, I think it was Node.js activated. And there was a lot of sites they went to where it was just a plain white page with like nothing at all, or it just, a lot of the pages broke. And the discussion was like whether or not we should still be building sites that degenerate gracefully. And I I think it's great that, that, you're, that this is still happening because I think it's important. I'm not, not that like, you kind of need JavaScript and enabled just to use most of the internet anymore, which <laughs> is tragic. But yeah, I, I never, so yeah, I never <laughs> disabled JavaScript in normal usage. I'm not an animal. <laughs> but right, but, right. But uh, but I think that you know, like if you don't have it, I think over reliance on JavaScript just because it can be super buggy and capricious about things. There, there's a million um, ways to write bad JavaScript. I mean, let's yeah. Face it. And and sometimes like if you have one component that's provided by a third party and then you have a different component provided by a different third party, it's possible for them to collide and to be unaware of that. And the, the site should still work even without it. So I think it's really cool that um that Bridgetown takes that approach. Yeah, you, you end up typically with much smaller JavaScript and possibly even CSS bundles out of the gate because you're you know, you're not starting from this place of like i'm just gonna go crazy writing react components everywhere and i'm gonna pull in all these all these <laughs> add-ons and all these things and it's gonna be amazing and we're gonna have you know graphql things flying right and left and you know huh. it, it all seems very cool but then you end up in a situation like for example um i've actually been on a project for a while using next.js 
And you know, there's a lot of things I like about it, but I did turn off JavaScript recently to, and went to one of the pages we've worked on and kind of realized to my horror that half the page was, was gone. It was just completely gone. And I was like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Some of the page looks all right, but some of the page is gone. And I realized it was because we are using a React component that was a responsive design component where it was you know, sort of oh. dynamically removing or inserting content based on you know, the size of the browser window. And the problem was the static version of the page that got generated, uh, it didn't know what the browser size was because it was generated through a server. It's like, uh-oh. <laughs> but there is no browser <laughs> size when it's generating this page for the first time because it's not in a browser. <laughs> How do you, like, if someone wants to start using Bridgetown, what do they need to start? What do they need to do it? Like, how does someone get on board? Yeah, well, um, I mean, you do need Ruby. Um, you know, all you need to do is have that installed. And we have a, a little bit of documentation on even how to get that set up. Uh, but you need Ruby, and you do need Node for the JavaScript side, so you can use Webpack. But once you have those two things, then it's kind of just a matter of typing, you know, Bridgetown new, my cool site in your terminal, and it just generates, you know, sort of mm -hmm. a, a basic site template. Uh, and then, you know, just add a blog post, like type out a markdown file and stick it in a folder and, you know, type in a command and, mm. and poof, it builds and you see the blog post and you're like, wow, it worked. <laughs> it's kind of fun. <laughs> so the, so the, the user would be creating, would be writing the content using a markdown, like to, to, to basically create the content. Yeah, so that that's the sort of default approach. Now you can use a headless CMS, like we've talked about, and mm -hmm. um, you know there there are ways that aren't too hard to do. You could just write a little plugin, and we're working on documentation right now to make this like really clear how to do it. But you know, basically with, with just a few lines of code, really, uh, you know, instead of your blog post being in your repository as a file alongside all the rest of the code, it could be in a headless CMS somewhere. And then you just use REST or a GraphQL API. So in your Bridgetown site, you would just write a little Ruby plugin that's basically like, you know, call this API, uh, you know, query for some posts. Okay, I got the posts. Now I'll just, you know, output that to, you know, a, a file. And, and there's, an, uh, you know, a really easy way to do it. You're not, you know, literally like having to figure out how to write a text file. You're just using some nice little commands to say like, you know, okay, so out of the data that came through the API, you know, here's the title, here's the categories, here's the author, here's, here's the, the main body of the content, here's the date. And then um, it's as if that were an actual file in the repository. You know, as far as Bridgetown is concerned, hmm. it doesn't matter whether it's an actual file or whether it's something coming from a headless CMS, uh, you know, in the build process when it's generating everything uh, it, it's all the same to, to, you know, in, at that part of the process. So that's pretty cool. You can, you can use either approach. I, I, I kind of like to have content in Git as much as possible, at least for simpler sites, because you just get built-in versioning and you can roll back things really easily. And, and, you know, for, for end users, you know, there are ways to give them, you know, a simple editor that, you know, looks vaguely like WordPress where they can type in some stuff, but under the hood, it just saves a file to the repository. Um, but you can use hmm. a, a full-blown headless CMS with all the trimmings if you want to. The, the thing I'm thinking about here to, cool. to tie this back to another topic we, we hit on um, when we uh, had Brian Olandike on talking about Hacks CMS and the work he's doing to create a Gutenberg-like block editor that is better than Gutenberg in terms of usability and accessibility <laughs> and output. Because something you think about when we get into like HTML content, you know, it's easy to think about 
Well, Markdown is a great way to write documentation and things like that, but it doesn't facilitate design very well at all because Markdown right. is uh, is just a text formatting type of, of uh, markup. Well, Markdown. But with something like Hacks, you could build a system that gives you full capabilities to have control over layout and... Uh, organization of your content and an orientation of your content and all of those things and have that spit out something like html blobs in any kind of system um, whether that's something that's written with javascript or written, written with ruby or any of those and as a result still have very a very high level of control over the design and layout of these pages even though you're running them through a static site generator to output a site that's really cool yeah, that's kind of a hmm. that's kind of a dream of mine, you know, ultimately to see some kind of tool that's, you know, more of a visual page builder, but it's, you know, it's a I don't know what you call it, headless page builder yeah. where it's, you know, you're building you're building <laughs> your your advanced layout for some really cool page um and it stores it in some, you know, in some structured format. But then yeah, you could use any kind of stack uh, static site generator or or, you know, whatever you want to 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 take that uh, page structure, however it's defined, and then you know turn it into the final thing and use your own design system and all that cool stuff. That that would be super awesome. So if you're starting all of your content basis with Markdown, um, and you mentioned design system, what what if you do a site redesign? How easy is it to like basically re rebuild your whole site from those Markdown files? Uh, it it really varies from you know, from static site generator to, you know, from each one, depending on how it uh, defines uh, things through templates. Uh, so, um, mm -hmm. you know, Jekyll and Bridgetown and a few others uh, have used uh, a template language called Liquid. Um, so, you know, whether you're writing an HTML template itself or you're writing something in Markdown, uh, you can you can augment it with uh, with liquid tags and filters. So, you know, in, in WordPress lingo, okay. you might call that short codes you know, or something like that, ah, where, okay. you know, in line in your text, or you're kind of saying like Ruby has um, what is it called? Uh, e ERB. Um, no, I'm not thinking of ERB. There's a, a different one, isn't there for oh, I'm thinking of PHP. There was a thing like short tags that you could do. Oh, okay. It was a yeah. while ago. That's fine. ERB oh, is a good it? example. No, I think it might. No. Smarty? Was that a thing in PHP? Yes. Yes. Smarty. Yeah. Yeah. The idea there That's being like, of. instead of writing your template literally in PHP, which kind of was a template mm -hmm. language to start out with, uh, you know, write it in something a little simpler, a little nicer, a little safer, like Smarty. Um, but yeah, yeah. Liquid sort of the, the evolution of that in, in more modern times. Um, Shopify uses Liquid. So if you set up a store on Shopify and you customize templates there, you're, you're, you're using Liquid tags right there in their system. Um, cool. But some other ones use uh, a template language called Nunchucks. <laughs> it's it's kind okay. of similar to Liquid. Anyway, there's there's different yeah. ways to do it. But I've um, used, of I've used if you're Nunchucks using... in, uh, nunchucks, nunchucks, uh, in... Uh, markdown for a system called fractal we do a pattern library in a system mm -hmm. called fractal that uses markdown for all of the stuff but like we want to do things for instance like generate color swatches from a definition file so we use that to generate something that is loopable and outputs uh you know pretty stuff so to speak <laughs> Yeah, there's there's a lot of ways to do it. But basically the idea is, you know, you you whether whether you're sort of 
base level text content is in HTML or Markdown or something else, uh, you then augment that with some extra template smarts, you know, looping through things, uh, transforming a data value from one thing to another. Um, you know, Bridgetown can do some pretty cool things with Liquid. And we're actually working on uh, sort of an extra little spec add-on to Liquid called Liquid Components. Uh, and this is really uh, what gets to your question. So, you know, the dream there is that uh, you could uh, write some Liquid Components, uh, which, you know, are... are essentially like you know think of your traditional site like you know maybe you'd have a component for a nav bar and maybe even that would have a few components like logo links you know a search bar like maybe those are little components and then you know you have some stuff on your page like a sidebar component and a footer component um and the and the the nice thing about using something like uh liquid components for that is um you know it, it plays really well with bridgetown but uh in theory you could take a liquid component and plug it into some other static site generator. And as long as you, you know, kind of generally have the same you know, design system like, you know, CSS and so forth uh, working, uh, those liquid component templates will just work the same way. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's part of the build process is server based. So, you know, it helps to generate the static site. Um, but then um, on the, on the client side, uh, you could, you know, use something to, to, to hydrate, using that term again, to hydrate the component mm. if it needs to do something really advanced. So, you know, you could maybe use something like, uh, you know, like Reactor View there, um, but you could also uh, just use like an open standard uh, web components approach, which I'm personally uh, mostly interested in these days because it's gotten so much better in browsers now in terms of support. So the idea being that you could just write a little uh, web component that is just you know some some specific JavaScript structured in a way that's uh, completely cross browser now uh, you know at least with modern browsers uh, and it could just you know basically you know load in load in the HTML that's provided through the static site and you know just do things like you know make the button do something when you click on it or you know there's this little spot here that's you know blank out of the gate but we want to you know add a bunch of things in there like you know items of a to-do list or yeah the the sky's the limit but but the idea is that you know you you have some components defined uh through the static site that are more concerned with you know the layout and the design and and the the base content Uh, and then you make it do cool stuff on the client side with with these hydrated web components. Uh, and so this hybrid architecture is, cool. is, you know, somewhat of a, of a bleeding edge thing, but you know, it's not just me trying to do it. So many people are trying to do this and to crack this nut, you know, it's like the Holy grail, <laughs> I guess you could say, uh, somebody somewhere will, will hopefully kind of, you know, help, help pave the way a little bit in terms of widespread adoption. Well, best of luck to cool. you. I'm excited to, to try it out. I've even, Thought you know we were talking earlier about what kind of sites would work well as a you know a site ran by static site generation. The drunken UX site has no reason to be ran straight out of WordPress. We could easily integrate uh, a static site generator with that. Um, Syntax does it. Yeah, we don't we don't really do any of the uh, the no. like dynamic content that you might do with WordPress. I think the only thing we have is the. Um, Got some dashboard stuff, right? For well, that's analytics, in the back end, so that's that doesn't matter. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. It did like and, a CMS you know, approach. at that point, you know, you can think about the system. So syntax, uh, the syntax podcast, uh, West Boss's show, um, runs out of GitHub. 
and all their show notes are ran in, in Markdown. And so when they, you know, do something mm-hmm. to fix or update a, uh, a uh, set of show notes, it automatically publishes to their website that way. So there's a lot there that we could leverage nice. on, you know, to change the way we would host a site like ours, quite frankly. If this stuff is exciting to you, go check out. We'll have a bunch of stuff in the show notes from some of the tools like Lunar, if you want to learn more about that, if you want to learn more about, you know, how to set up a build process for static sites and and make that part of your your build so that things will trigger automatically in continuous integration, if that's the way you're set up. If you want to learn more about just different stuff, that staticgen.com site is a great one. Um, or, of course, the Bridgetown project if you are a Ruby dev. All of those will be linked up in the show notes. Uh, stick with us. We're going to take a quick break, and we will get you right on your way to your next show. The Drunken UX Podcast is brought to you by our friends at NewCloud. NewCloud is an industry-leading interactive map provider who has been building location-based solutions for organizations for a decade. Are you trying to find a simple solution to provide your users with an interactive map of your school, city, or business? Well, NewCloud's interactive map platform gives you the power to make and edit a custom interactive map in just minutes. They have a team of professional cartographers who specialize in map illustrations of many different styles and are ready to design an artistic rendering to fit your exact needs. One map serves all of your users' devices with responsive maps that are designed to scale and blend in seamlessly with your existing website. To request a demonstration or to view their portfolio, visit them online at newcloud.com slash drunkenux. That's nucloud.com slash drunkenux. Jared, Ben, thanks for sitting down with us this evening. We appreciate you taking the time out of your day. I know... Uh, the, the funnest part of running a podcast is trying to organize people in different time zones. <laughs> and this time we hit three of the four. Yeah. So <laughs> we, we, yeah, we, sure. My pleasure. We almost got all of them. Um, but the microphone is yours. Take it for a second and tell folks where they can find you, what you got going on and anything that you want them to know. Yeah. So, uh, first of all, the Bridgetown project is just at bridgetownrb.com, RB for Ruby. Uh, and at bridgetownrb.com, it talks a little bit about the project right there on the front page, so you can find out more. Um, there's also a page about the Jamstack in particular that's a little more generic, so that might be kind of educational and interesting. Um, you can find me on the web just generally at jaredwhite.com, on Twitter, Jared C. White, um, and that, that's pretty much it. Awesome. So uh, be sure to connect with us. We forgot to mention it earlier, but uh, Twitter and Facebook.com slash DrunkenUX and DrunkenUX.com or Instagram.com slash DrunkenUX podcast and DrunkenUX.com slash Discord to come and chat with us. Uh, folks, at the end of the day, with all of this, you know, you got to think about how these tools fit into your workflow and whether or not it's right. Not a static site generator is not the right tool for every website. And so every product that lands at your feet, this may not be the way to go. So look into it, learn about it a little bit more, use some of the articles we've got in the show notes to understand the ins and outs of it and what their use cases are. Um, you know, throwback to episode 61, the emergency site episode where we talked about why a static site generator can help you, you know, serve a lot more pages because it reduces overhead. So things like that, learn how to evaluate some of those things and understand that no matter 
which one you go with, which tool you pick, it doesn't matter because the only thing you should be doing is keeping your personas close and your <laughs> users closer. <laughs> bye bye. See ya.